welcome back. There is no misinformation, disinformation warning this week, but I will preface today's show by saying you're about to witness the second most sacred and beautiful relationship that is possible. A friendship between a white woman with dark hair and her <laughs> insane gay friend, as we have collaborated to talk about something Megan is very passionate about, books and reading, and something which I am unable to do, reading. <laughs> Megan is uh, prepared to say some sociopath shit. Am That's I? right. Work. Yes. I will be supporting Megan wholeheartedly as Megan plans to one day perhaps teach children how to read good as we will have the Megan podcast school for children who do not know how to read good. It is, yes, fortuitous that, is this that Megan's podcast. last what name. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's true. Each week, Megan teaches three dumb, uh, down on their luck, <laughs> inner city children how to read. <laughs> Speaking of, Megan. What are we specifically talking about today? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about some uh, censorship, some book banning. So I hope everyone's excited, you know. It is a really exciting topic, in my opinion. It's about time that we ban books, just period. I feel I feel mm-hmm. like, how many books come out a year? Like 10, 20? Yeah. Too like many. at least 20, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like we, we already have, so if you've ever been to a library, folks, they're full of books. I feel like we don't mm. need any more. True, uh, they're kind of so y- overstocked, right? Yeah. yeah. And overfunded. That's why yeah. they Definitely, have to put I was just some of them say that. in the garbage out back. <laughs> they just throw some of them out. So. They do, yeah. they just put them in dumpsters a lot of the and, time. And then they put a lock on it so poor children can't get the books. <laughs> That's right. Actually, uh, this is not part of my presentation today, so I'll just say this, but a lot of times libraries throw out books and then people will actually go through the trash and pick them up and then re-donate them to schools, but they had been thrown out because they're like <laughs> horribly inaccurate or really outdated and the schools don't need them and then they just ends up with like piles of massive shitty books. It's something talked about on librarian Twitter a lot I've seen. Librarian so. Twitter. Yeah. Mm. It sounds like the know, most that's... boring place on the internet. No. <laughs> no, it's yeah. cool. They yell at you if you <laughs> type in all caps. It's a little exclusionary. <laughs> Getting canceled is just them responding shh to one of you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, they they silencing your ass on librarian. <laughs> uh, so the reason that I wanted to bring up censorship this week is because I don't know if you guys have seen this um, recently, but Mouse, a book that teaches about the Holocaust, um, it's a like comic book. I've never graphic read it. Graphic novel. Yeah, sorry, yeah, graphic novel. You. Um, I have never read it. We read Night instead when we were in grade Mm. 10. Um, But it has been banned in a county in Tennessee. Um, According to the school board, it was because it contains curse words and nudity. (laughs) So pretty rough. Where does the nudity occur in in the book? Does anyone know? Uh, Don't worry about it. Uh, Don't worry about it. Don't think about why people are naked and stripped down to their bare humanity. Just don't think about that. Yeah. All right. Dean, so have you read Chance and Dean? Have you guys read Mouse? I have yes. not read Mouse. It's been on my what? list. What about you, Chance? Is that a no as well? No, I've read it. Okay, yeah, good. I actually genuinely love it. Like, it's one of my favorite pieces of literature. Like, I think it was fantastic. I read it when I was probably too young to be reading it. Like, I want to say age eight or nine. And I'm not kidding. Like, it literally stayed with me for the rest of my life. So it's a fantastic book. It's an important book. And it is not surprising, but very upsetting that it's being slowly banned. It only takes one kind of district 
to get the ball rolling, and all of a sudden, this book just is not a thing anymore. Uh, so let's hope it does not come to that. Yeah, so this is also, just as you said, like it is part of a broader movement right now. Um, there's a trend of removing books about systemic racism, slavery, or genocide as part of a pushback against critical race theory, <laughs> oh especially God. in the South, mm-hmm. um, which is just basically removing books by black and Jewish and other marginalized people, authors, and replacing um, them with other books or just like not teaching about those events properly. And I want to pull up a thread just by Gwen C. Katz on Twitter if you want to look um, them up. But they were talking about how a lot of the time these books get replaced um, by basically like glossed over versions of these histories. So for example, the Holocaust, a lot of the times they'll instead replace it with the boy with the striped pajamas or the boy in the striped pajamas, um, which is told from the perspective of a German child. And it's written by a white Irish man. Um, And at the end, it essentially equates the Holocaust to just like general human prejudice and says that we should be nice to each other without explaining or like showing you any of the specifics of why the Holocaust happened or how it was so particularly devastating. It's it's turning atrocity into an after-school special. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's, you know what? I'm sure that won't bode poorly for the future uh, when this generation of already insanely fucked up kids has no actual grasp on real history. Do you remember when we went through the British legions, uh, poppy fundraiser oh, thing. Oh, fuck. And they yeah. were selling the single-page <laughs> poster of the boys in the striped pajamas all in one. <laughs> yeah. All on one. It's just so interesting cool. that that's their, their choice. Yeah, they really know? love that one. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it, it makes sense. Like, it's it's fitting. Like, when we're living in a world where, you know, like, there there is no fixed truth on anything, period. Like, there's no, like, material understanding of the world and how it operates. That has to extend into the past as well as the present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Who can speak more on human atrocity than a descendant of the first slaves? And I <laughs> That's right. Facts. Uh, I also saw some good tweets about how apparently some white people were saying that Mouse was like triggering for them when they oh, read it and that it wasn't God. good for children. I didn't actually see any tweets like that. I just saw responses to it. But the response is that like, of course, it's triggering. It's the Holocaust. Like it's supposed <laughs> to make you incredibly emotional and make you work through that and it should not be like glossed over and it's obviously extremely bad for a number of reasons to not properly learn about the holocaust like literally before just before we started recording i saw someone talking on twitter about how people that don't properly learn about the holocaust are the people that compare mask mandates to the holocaust (laughs) and things like that but also just like generally not learning about genocides is bad but talking about um like such an atrocity as being possibly triggering reminds me of a quick tale of when I was at a coffee shop downtown Kingston. If you're at a liberal coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, the, the screenings room, the local theater was doing like, um, a film festival. And one of the films they decided to show was a movie about, two indigenous men on a reserve in the seventies who were gay and were trying to like deal with that and coming out. And I remember overhearing a conversation next to me where they were like, they really should have like put up trigger warnings. I had no idea there would be like sexual violence in that movie. Mm. And Mm. it's like, maybe have 
some understanding of the context going into stuff. Mm -hmm. Certain topics, right? Other things, I feel like trigger warnings are super important when it comes to something that might possibly blindside you or is possibly trying to be subversive. Mm. And, you know. This this is a book about the Holocaust. Trigger warning, the Holocaust happens in it. It's like, if you're watching basketball and all of a sudden one of them just started, yeah, being like, oh, six million seems a little high to me. It's like, yeah, maybe offer a trigger warning. But it's like, when you're watching a movie about tough subject matter, you should probably be prepared to discuss and think about tough subject matter. Maybe yeah, just and, a little bit. And, like, you know, take some steps prior to, uh, you know, kind of cover your own ass if something might be too sensitive for you, right? And I um, feel like this is also interesting because, like, this we're talking about is in the context of children. So, like, right, obviously yeah. there's traumatized children, but... There also has to be, like, if you don't know about the Holocaust up until this point, there's no amount of really, like, warning that can prepare you for learning, like, what genocide is. It's just that, like, that's a horrible part of humanity that you just have to, like, when you get to grade 8 or 10 or whatever, you just have to, like, start knowing about it now. So there's, like, mm-hmm. there's nothing they can really do to, like, prep you for that. And I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that, like, giving warnings for such subjects is the problem. I think mm-hmm. the problem is when people say that these subjects shouldn't be taught because of the sensitive nature of them. That's mm-hmm. like a that's a completely different thing from being like, "Hey guys, just so you know, this is going to be very heavy topics." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like, no, no, these heavy topics we're not going to talk about them because it's too heavy yeah. for you. Yeah, no, you're not ready. You'll never be ready. Actually, uh, don't think about why things are the way they are. Thank you. And it's so interesting because I feel like this pushback on critical race theory and things like that, and about like learning about the atrocities of the Holocaust is like they really think that children are like stupid or not able to (laughs) process it at all. Like a lot of the, there's like a Mother Jones article that talked about this, um, how they banned mouse and they have like quotes from the room um, of the teachers talking about it. And one of the teachers was like, yeah. And like in the poetry unit, we like say this poem and it has like sex in it and like we would never allow them to talk about sex like outside of school so like why are we allowing it in our content which is like just the stupidest thing I've ever heard it was like an 100 year old pop song from like the early 1900s he was talking about and also talking like about buffalo gals yeah going under the <laughs> apple tree what's and, good and, uh, pussycat explaining things to <laughs> children like good? in a classroom setting where they have like the time and space to work through it with a teacher is different than them just like screaming slurs at each other like on the playground. Which, like, for the record, they, they, they never stop doing that. <laughs> it is pretty like, constant. It's it's like it's a complete. It's like the people making these decisions have like never interacted with a child or never yes. even remember being a child. Uh, you are correct. Or it's like they don't know any children other than their own, and they don't realize that the second their child leaves their house, they are insane and, like, a piece yeah. of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, they've specifically raised a child uh, that, uh, you know, does not reveal any facet of their true personality when their it's parents like, are in the room. We can't have our son uh, listen to Camp Town Races uh, because it talks about, you know— ladies of ill repute but he is watching a video of a homeless guy kill a dog on his phone and jacking off to it yeah Yeah. we we can't let him think that it's okay to put a feather in his cap and call it macaroni (laughs) that's right but uh calling your white classmate the n-word now hold on a minute wait a second but not only that it's like it's not giving kids enough credit in that like i 
from what I remember, like the like like you said with with Mouse, the the works that like stick with you as you're a kid and that like you carry with you uh, are the ones that you're too old or you're too young to be engaging with, too, quote unquote, too young. Yeah, to be, they're the like, ones that challenge you. Yeah, exactly. That's what helps you like learn and grow and become an adult is mm. engaging with these things at, you know, these early stages in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I'll be putting a pair of earphones into Dean and Megan's Child with the Joe Rogan experience on it. <laughs> playing that every waking yeah. hour. The lost 70 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but so obviously banning mouse, bad, dangerous, not good. So Jesse, I wanted to give oh, you man. some time to talk about your favorite book bannings before we okay. move on. So I have compiled, first off, you go to, I believe it's freedomtoread.ca, where you can see a full list of, like, banned book challenges. So not all of these books are banned, but they've all been challenged, as in they've been brought under review to see if they're appropriate to keep in the curriculum or in a library or in a classroom. Some and of these this are is all like lighthearted. stuff? Yeah, like this is Canada specific. Yeah, some no, are from but, but like, Surrey, the, BC. I'm sorry, but like the, the, the bannings or like the calling to question is all like local school boards, I imagine. Sometimes, like it, it really depends. So usually one school board will ban it and then it'll be kind of like a provincial moratorium where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, just so you know, like Surrey, British Columbia banned this book. It'll like, like it's, it's given to teachers as like, oh, here's like a list of challenge books. You can do with it as you please. Yeah. And most it's basically like cover- a 10 foot pole. Yeah, cover your own ass. Uh, yeah. So one, I would just like to – so this is the title of the book. And remember, this book was challenged. Catch That Cat, a picture book of rhymes and puzzles. In 2006, oh British Yo. Columbia, a parent complained about this children's book at the Prince George Public Library. The parent described the book as a cult and scary. What? So, that was okay. – uh, no The library would – retain the book and inform the parent of the decision in writing. (laughs) Uh, This one is one of my favorite titles. Darth Maul, Sith Apprentice. (laughs) Nice. Challenged in 2015 for age inappropriate, sexually explicit and violent content. Still under review. (laughs) Someone was sucking on his horns. Yeah. I'm going to save a really nasty one for the end, but, uh, how do you spell abducted? A book about an estranged father abducting his three children. In 1996, <laughs> oh. wait till you hear why this was challenged. <laughs> By an the Alberta, Father's Rights Commission. Yeah, yeah. An Alberta MLA, Julius Yankowski, called for the banning of the book after reading a negative review of the book, so not the book itself, but a negative review by journalist Michael Corrin. Both men called for the withdrawal of provincial and federal government grants for its publisher, Red Deer Press. Objection. Corrin said the novel was no more than a hate literature against men. Yes. Oh, my Classic. <laughs> Update. Women abduct, too. By the fall of 1999, the novel had sold 12,000 copies and no further attempt had been made to ban the book or cut government grants to Red Deer Press. So it failed. But I just found it very funny that that's what they challenged. (laughs) Yeah. All right. This one I sent in the chat, but I think it's very funny and I want to talk about it because it's very quick. And then I'll do like the actual one that made me gasp like for real. My First Ramadan by Karen Katz. Oh, no. I wonder why this was on the list. 2015. Challenged for insensitive, inappropriate for any age, and inappropriate illustration of the Muslim religion. Was retained because there was no illustration of Muhammad. Oh. 
which is, I guess that's good. So Karen Katz, I did look her up, is a white woman who has also written my first Kwanzaa <laughs> and my first Chinese New Year. She uh, sounds also, awesome. Also, when you look up Karen Katz on like this literacy or like book website, you also get a different Karen Katz who wrote these two books. Breaking the Outlaw Biker Code of Silence, a comprehensive literature search on outlaw biker subculture, That's and Behind the you. Patch, towards an, under- towards an understanding of public safety and law enforcement with motorcycle clubs. I just found it so funny that, like, on her page where I saw the other books, those ones were also listed. Yeah. So really I had to make is. sure <laughs> it was a different woman. <laughs> it really is just our podcast. Okay, so this is the last, like... Big one. I will say a lot of books, which we might touch on later, that get banned. In fact, Megan, remind me, there is one I want to talk about at the very, very end. Okay. But the last one we'll cover right now. Okay. Does the name David Irving mean anything to you guys? Thankfully, no. No. Sounds familiar. Okay. Then we're going to go on a journey together. I'm just going to pull up his Wikipedia page as I read you the title and why this book was challenged. Hitler's War, David Irving, 2004. In Ontario, the Kitchener Public Library received a complaint about this history of World War II by a British writer. And what did Kitchener Uh, used to be called? Well, let's take a look at David Irving's Wikipedia page real quick. David John Caudell Irving is an English author and Holocaust denier. Oh, Oh, wow. uh, Yes. (laughs) I I didn't know you could get that distinction on your Wikipedia page. I was going to give him, I was like, well, you know, like if it was anyone's war, it would probably be Hitler's war. But, you mm. know, if I, so if I remember about... this guy correctly, he's very proudly one. Like he, yes. he self labels as one. Yes. Uh, critical reaction to Hitler's war was generally negative. <laughs> Reviewers took issue with Irving's factual claims and conclusions. For example, American historian Charles Sidner noted numerous errors, such as Irving's unreferenced statement that the Jews who fought in the Warsaw Uprising were well supplied with weapons from Germany's allies. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Sidner also pointed out that Hitler had received an SS report in 1942, which contained a mention of 363,211 Russian Jews being executed by the Einsatz group in between August and November of 42. One of the big arguments being Hitler was not aware of the Holocaust taking place. Sidner remarked that Irving's <laughs> statement that the Einsatz Wait, so group did it happen charge, or did, did it not? Uh, did Hitler just not know it was happening? Yeah, Is that his argument? Yeah. Essentially, yes. It's like... Not only did it not happen, but Hitler would not have been aware of it. Uh, okay. Einsatzgruppen were in charge of the death camp seems to indicate that he was not familiar with the history of the Holocaust, as the Einsatzgruppen were, in fact, mobile death squads who had nothing to do with the death camp. So essentially he's arguing, oh, Hitler didn't really have anything to do with this. Uh, so here was the challenge. The complainant said Irving was a Holocaust denier and the library should not carry his book. Update. After conducting a review, librarians retained the book in the collection. In their review, (laughs) librarians noted that three local universities stock Hitler's war in their collections. The Kitchener Public Library also carries more than 200 books on the Holocaust, including memoirs, to ensure a, quote, variety of viewpoints. Okay, Mm. this is basically what I want to talk about today, so thank you for bringing it up. So, I feel like you covered some good topics here, Jesse, but that, like, there are a number of reasons that books get challenged most of them are very stupid. Like, people hate men too much in this book, or <laughs> this book is witchcraft, et cetera, et cetera. Like, is there's anti logging propaganda yeah. like with Maxine's tree. <laughs> yeah. So, there is like, there's a lot to unpack here. So, I'm, I'm just, I'll just start with my next section. But 
So this whole topic is related to my field. So I've been learning a lot about like banning and censorship. Um, and it's also Freedom to Read Week, uh, February mm. 20th to 26th. So that's coming up. So that's the website you were just talking about, Jesse. Mm-hmm. But they also have lots of blog posts and other general general information like the banned book list um, and like articles from people about like freedom of information. Uh, They want Canadians to think about and reaffirm their commitment to intellectual freedom, which is a charter right. So I think obviously it's admirable to uphold intellectual freedom. That's like a good cause. And as we've seen with like the discussion of mouse, like there are a lot of books that get challenged for horrible reasons that should be retained. But I also want to discuss some of the intricacies of censorship. Um, So to start, there's uh, a Desmond Cole blog post on the Freedom to Read website, which is nice that they've posted some like more nuanced takes rather than just like, oh, no one should ban anything. Like this is bad. Intellectual freedom is like the only thing we should be considering. So Desmond Cole wrote The Skin We're In, if you guys are familiar Mm -hmm. with who he is. Um, Mm -hmm. He's like a big Toronto black activist. He's really cool. Mm -hmm. He has the quote, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, um, even when comforting the afflicted curbs freedom of expression. So he says that intellectual freedom rules that um, sometimes afflict the afflicted. Uh, So the result is that a speaker can walk into to a public space and spread hurtful misinformation about a trans woman, but that trans woman can't use the washroom in that same public space. So there are a lot of times when freedom of expression just serves to like further marginalize people that are already marginalized. So he does not see the benefits to unlimited freedom of expression. Um, We cannot be allowed to deny people's humanity in his eyes. Um, And he argues that genocide is always accompanied by dehumanizing language. Um, He talks a lot about how there was a study that came out that said most Canadians favor the use of the N-word in class if it's being used for an educational purpose. So his whole article here is basically talking about the use of the N-word. So white people create this like dehumanizing word and then they still get to decide how it's used so that's just like keep in the back of your mind in our discussions going forward that there is some like power dynamics at play when you're talking about like censorship and book banning i think and like one example of where the issue of banning and censorship comes up is obviously in school and teaching settings like we were talking about with mouse but There are examples of people wanting to stop teaching books for other reasons besides like like conservative babies are definitely like one of the biggest people that want to stop teaching books. But I sent you guys some tweets yesterday from some YA authors on Twitter and I wanted to read one from, (laughs) uh, from Kat Cho. Um, I have not read any of Kat Cho's books. I just looked her up today. Um, but she said, what I assume my teachers are trying to teach me with the classics incest is okay. If your dad refuses to confirm your siblings, Wuthering Heights, it's okay True. to it's yeah. okay to obsess over a past lover to the point of stalking if you're rich, great Gatsby, and Facts. racism, am I right? Huck Finn. So True. I, yeah. I think Well what what a lot of people need to realize uh is I can't I can't even do like a sarcastic cover. Like it's like literally like dog brained the exact <laughs> same argument that we have to have every single time. Like, oh, if something is in a book or in a movie. That means that the author is endorsing that and saying that it is a great thing. And, like, it's one thing when, you know, like, dumb, like, you know, conservatives on Twitter or something are saying that. Or, like, TikTok teens uh, canceling licorice pizza. That's one thing. But, like, when it, when it's, like, you know, ostens- like people creating uh, content for 
like targeted towards these like young readers uh, who like lack any critical thinking skills when it comes to analyzing literature. That's that's the thing that puts the dark cloud over my brain. Yeah. So I think in general, a lot of people in like book and movie online culture. So like booktube and like movie Twitter it seem to be obsessed with thinking that like depiction and endorsement are the same thing. Um, I just watched a really good YouTube video by a channel called Broy de Chanel. If you want to check that out, it's really, really good. And it covers this like topic pretty in depth. And I think so that's like more of the issue is what is of what is going on here is that so many like YA readership seems to be like, oh, every person in the book needs to have only like extremely minor flaws and they need to be all good people or else <laughs> like, like me. you are a Nazi <laughs> or something. Or or if they are bad, it has to be super explicit. Yeah. yeah. Bad things must happen to them. And they, yeah, it they have to be, be like evil. defeated at the end basically. But yes. also like in Great Gatsby, he dies. So I'm like, was that not clear enough that like his way of living was not super ideal? I don't know. Yeah, the but. whole the whole thing, even on like a cursory gr- glance, is is about like, you know, how trying to fulfill a void with material things that leads to nothingness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, just, that's it's not so... me being super deep. Like that's, <laughs> that's literally, it's not subtext, you know, <laughs> like it's very explicitly that. Yeah. It's just, it's like, I love living in a world where we have like 16 year olds arguing to bring back the Hayes code. It's just so cool. <laughs> that's literally <laughs> what's if, happening. Like if, if oh you, if God. you don't, uh, if you don't mind me putting my tinfoil hat on while we're talking yeah. about YA authors, I think, you know, it, it is something to consider that, you know, these people uh, who, like, make their money and make their living writing books that, you know, high schoolers read are really, really rabidly against these classic books that are in the public domain that the school already has copies of that are dirt cheap to buy otherwise and are instead uh, arguing for, uh, you know, their inclusive new not that inclusion or diversity are bad but they're like oh we have to frame these things properly uh and like again with every little like you know bump or like hitch or like anything that provides any amount of friction uh or any any interest or calls into question anything uh instead here is my new book that you can buy in hardcover for 30 bucks a pop uh, you know, <laughs> buy that for every classroom in America. Please and thank you. Dude, uh, I'll, I'll co-sign on that. I like where your head's at here. Yeah, like that is like completely frictionless, a smooth little pill of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, racism is bad that you can what? swallow and then never engage or think uh, about the subject again or I'm its historical context. Further. Yeah, Dean, okay. I am going to – I think you're absolutely correct. I have an end point where I think this is going to get to. You know how like Disney is just buying every entertainment aspect where like every company is just like a Disney subsidiary now? Yeah, so are we- I genuinely yeah, – well, yeah, of course. Uh, I'll hail the mess. I genuinely believe we're going to get to a point where, like, the only books in schools are, like, novelizations of, like, Disney movies. Okay, wait, before you go (laughs) on. Please read the Eternals uh, novelization to see queer women of color included in a movie and a book. I'm not lying. That's the only way you get to learn about the Indus River Valley. (laughs) Yeah, and and Hiroshima, which was caused by a gay black guy. Guys, Kat 
Cho's most recent book is published by Disney. So yes, <laughs> oh my god, it's sort you of crack the, the code. Yeah. yeah, I will say it's about um, a K-pop idol asking a girl to prom. So I don't know if it's <laughs> going to be like core content Heavy. in a <laughs> class, but you know, give it fifty years, maybe. And so I, <laughs> no, I it's going to be. <laughs> I think this BTS, is BTS, not C C R T. Straight this, up. <laughs> it, it also it just seems like generally like a lack of critical thinking and like media literacy on the part of many people. But I also don't think it's like the main topic that I want to talk about here today. And also like mm. a, a counter argument to what we're saying is that like all these books that are classics and in the school canon are also like all written by white people. And there's like lots more people of color writing books now that could be included in classroom curriculum. So I'm not saying they have like no points. I just don't think they're being very smart or have good points. Yeah, you know? But even back then, right? Like read Langston Hughes, read, uh, um, mm-hmm. go well, on. Honestly, you should just read yeah. Langston Hughes. Yeah, but, no, no, go on. Um, Give us God. more. Yeah, I want to know. Okay. I'm going to sit my white ass down. <laughs> <laughs> like, aside from the critical thinking skills with reading, I feel like there is some tension that we can talk about between reading these historical books where slurs are used, which is probably uncomfortable for students of color, as Desmond Cole mentioned in class. Like, I can't imagine that's a great time. But also wanting to teach about past atrocities in North America and how you do that in classrooms and with what books. So I'm curious to see what you guys think about that, like the whole classroom aspect of these books. Hmm. I Yeah, that's really tough to argue against because – Look, I am currently like working in a elementary classroom and we're reading a book that is about like a Chinese American family and there are three uh, young gentlemen from – two are from South Korea and one is from China. But no matter which one they look at, like you can tell like people in the class are like looking at these kids when the character talks about like a Chinese experience, including the two kids that are not from China. And it's like, if that's enough to kind of like create that really awkward moment, I could not imagine reading a book that maybe, for example, later on in this one, it used like the sea slur that was used to denigrate Chinese people. Like, I, that's really hard to argue against. I am someone who obviously believes in like maintaining the historical context of the book. And it is important to acknowledge that, yeah, these words were used as one of many ways to like denigrate and keep people that were not white like down but ah that's that's really tough to argue against because you should be taking like a person-centered approach to education especially when it's dealing with such a sensitive subject like race well i think i think you can in fact do both like Mm -hmm. uh, we were we were talking about uh, what's his name uh david irving and i was thinking because i megan had presented this topic a couple days ago. So I had to like sit down and kind of rethink of some things because a lot of the time I am moved way closer to the all censorship is bad end of everything. Um, But that's because I'm like a psycho absolutist in a lot of my (laughs) feelings towards things. But then I was, I was thinking about how you can't necessarily do that. Right as per Desmond Cole's argument about essentially the paradox of uh, intolerance, right? Like you Mm -hmm. can't tolerate intolerance Mm -hmm. um, because then you are not actually being 
you aren't actually tolerating at that point. Mm-hmm. You are, in fact, being, you know, antagonistic towards other groups of people because you're allowing that to happen. But I was thinking about how the the ban or the removal doesn't have to be the answer to that question. Um, and more so, there should be a higher focus on, like, and it, obviously, this is like ideal world, you know, perfect situation, utopic thinking. But there should be more of an effort on if you are to teach these types of texts, even things that are completely historically inaccurate or maybe are um, have very sensitive, like, racial issues in them or or slurs or what have you, that there should be much more of a focus on the person presenting it, giving proper context and giving proper um, kind of a walkthrough before just giving it to the person that is reading. So even like a librarian, for instance, someone wants to pick up David Irving's book. There should be, and I do, there should be a, you know, before I hand you this book, here's a list of things um, that you should know about like this author or what has been brought because of the fact that it's been challenged. This doesn't have to happen with everything, but since it's been challenged, this is what I should tell you. Take from that what you will. And you can do that as well with teaching, right? In that like if something has something like a slur in it, before you get to that point, you can can bring it up, right? And say and explain and, and go into depth. It puts a lot of weight on the individual teaching, obviously. But I, I think that's like, instead, it. I think a lot of the time, the efficient way to handle things is one or the other, either teach it or don't, either ban it or keep it. And I think there is a middle ground where mm-hmm. it is still available to people, but it just has to come with the context of where it's coming from, right? Or right. whether it's factual or not. Right, like, and that's sort of like increasingly becoming like the function of education like as we were saying like you know kids are like screaming slurs at each other on the playground all the time like these are topics that children are just by the nature of the like hyper online hyper connected uh hyper radicalized world that we live in uh that they have to engage with uh from a really young age and like allowing them to do so in like a safe controlled environment uh where they can be provided that context uh mm-hmm. i think is it's the exact same argument uh that you could make uh you know for sexual education uh mm-hmm. like the kids are doing race theory anyway uh, so we may as, i'd rather you do it under my own roof you know mm. right right yeah i feel like it probably it just has to do i think with like where like who wrote these books but like i feel like kids need to learn about like racism and slavery in the US and it's just that you want them learning about it from like an actual like a good source that gets across like how horrible it was and you know that it's like even right. still ongoing without maybe like like putting uncomfort or like all the stress of the entire class onto like a black student per se so i don't know yeah. i feel like there's got to be resources for that megan i know a group of guys that would love to go into elementary schools and talk about slavery uh, they're our friends in the lincoln project and they're really going <laughs> to yeah. set things straight <laughs> they, they love to work with uh, mischievous young men megan was what i was saying from your perspective as someone who wants to go into this field does that make sense 
Yes, it like, completely it, does. I didn't comment on it too much just because I, I'm actually going to like bring up the whole section gotcha. of like libraries now. But basically what you said is exactly what I'm going to argue for. So like you're right completely. But okay, yeah. Cool. So, well, I was right too. It's not a contest, but Jesse was the most. <laughs> I, I was probably <laughs> also right though. Yeah, okay, guys. Second. All right. All right. Um, So, yeah, the next thing I wanted to focus on was intellectual freedom in libraries, um, which I think also ties into the broader issue of free speech as public library books are freely available and public libraries often have issues with like room booking grants um, as like well as deciding like which books to carry. So like who to rent to and like whose ideas to promote at a library, essentially. And I just want to put on we were talking earlier about trigger warnings, but here's a trigger warning for transphobia for the next part of our discussion here. I wrote a paper on this recently, so I'm basically just going to tell you guys about my paper and then ask what you think at the end. So um, librarians have intellectual freedom as one of their core principles, but they also have other core principles like respect and dignity, collections that serve the community, et cetera. They're supposed to be like community hubs where people feel comfortable going and learning. Um, So as we sort of alluded to in the talk with Desmond Cole about the N-word, it's not just conservatives that are concerned uh, with materials being shared with the community. So an example I'll bring up is the Kingston Public Library's decision to keep a book called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. It is not a good book. (laughs) So a bit of background. uh, This book is about how there is a trans craze affecting assigned female at birth teenagers to become become boys. And how if you let your trans, uh, child transition even uh, by even using their preferred names or pronouns, you're doing irreversible Wait. harm to them, et cetera, et cetera. It, Megan, is that one of those like <laughs> J.K. Rowling like pen name things? How she wrote those terrible like mystery books? Is that the same author? No, this, um, I don't this actually know. This is a very know real person. I'm pretty what, sure. Yeah, I don't know what else Abigail Schreier has written other than like op-eds. Mom's so, net post. Abigail um, Shapiro. Yes. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, So the book interviews only parents, many of whom are estranged from their children because they would not respect their identities. Wonder why. Yeah. It's published from a publishing house that is uh, the tagline of which is America's leading publisher of conservative books for over 70 years. Um, So doctors have reviewed this book. It's full of inaccuracies about the medical system. It has like altered stats, et cetera. So it's not well written. Um, There was a group in Kingston that pushed for its removal from the library and KFPL, which I'm just going to use the acronym from now on, but it's the library, received 16 formal complaints to have this book removed. Um, They've posted publicly the back and forth emailing between a staff member at KFPL and the parent of a trans child who was arguing that the book should be removed. So I'm going to pull from this like email chain for some examples, but there are a few reasons why I believe that this book should be removed or at least have some sort of indication on its cover, sort of like Chance was talking about, um, that it is not accurate or it's harmful. Uh, So this is sort of a general concern in libraries with what to do with like Nazi ideology and other like really harmful ideologies that are in books um, because they are out there and they could be possibly used by people for like research if you're researching like the alt-right or something or information literacy programs. But just having them in the stacks to me seems like pretty irresponsible. Um, Mm -hmm. So the first reason I think this is because the book advocates harm, which is enough to argue that it should not fall under protected speech um, by, like, not respecting children's names and pronouns and denying them gender-affirming health care. It's shown to have, like, adverse effects on children's health and well-being and also contributes to a wider culture of transphobia, which, like, harms trans people in many ways. 
And there are scholars, I'll pull from um, a scholar named Melina Constantine Bell here, that advocates that the difference between, um, there is a difference between offense and harm for ref- restricting freedom of speech. And I would say this book falls within harm. The The staff member at KFPL continually said that although she was like offended reading the book, they had to keep it to like uphold intellectual freedom. But I would argue this book is more than offensive because it like actually advocates like a very harmful ideology. Um, if I have to hear about freedom one more time, it's all this goddamn culture mm. can ever talk about is our freedom. Yeah. Right? Truckers if, can't even read. Yeah. Like it's, oh <laughs> I'm my sick God. of this. It's ridiculous. If I have to hear about freedom one more time, I'm going to use my God given freedom to put a bullet in my head. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Well. Um, the second point I have is that libraries view themselves as very neutral and needing to protect everyone's like right to intellectual freedom, uh, and <clears throat> they think this means that they need to let like all kind of all kinds of viewpoints through the door, and they don't really see themselves as sort of like any hegemonic structure. Just like things happen to them. Um, so, an author named Sam Popwich does a great paper on this, uh, talking about the decision of the Toronto Public Library to host a turf speaker which is the event that Desmond Cole was referring to earlier. Um, because basically, like, they hosted this turf speaker. There was a protest outside um, of, like, trans activists and allies, and they called the cops on them. So lovely for a library to do. They're being impartial. Yeah. yeah. Popowich argues that— yeah, it's, all, it's all about freedom, folks. <laughs> That's why I had to call the cops on the demonstration outside. Yeah. yeah. Freedom also means freedom to go to jail. I'm sorry. Yeah. Simply as how it is. <laughs> So Popovich also argues that libraries see specific books as being, like, wrong or containing, like, falsehoods, but do not ever see books as part of a system of power. So their only metric is, like, is this book lying or just, like, completely, like, not peer-reviewed or whatever, which the book, honestly, is bad. Like, it it is lying, in my opinion. Um, But in that email chain, the staff kept talking about how, like, it's a decently written book, and therefore they have no reason to ban it because they're saying, like, well, it passed the test of, like, not being completely full of lies, so we have to keep it in the library, even though, like, it does have lies in it. And also, that shouldn't be the only factor you're considering. Like, the ideology of a book should also matter in your decision to keep it for your library. So this like this affects community involvement in the library like deciding which books are and are not there does affect like who comes to the library because Halifax Pride cut ties with the Halifax Public Library over this book um and obviously from the 16 complaints the Kingston community was not happy with this book either so the library is like jeopardizing other core aspects of themselves so like themselves as a space for community involvement and respect to uphold what they see as intellectual freedom but I find this actually reduces intellectual freedom. There's an author named Derek Anderson that argues that um, in safe spaces, uh, marginalized people are more free to share their thoughts and introduce new concepts that it would, be, would have been missing in an unsafe space. So we're actually missing out on new knowledge by making the library a space where trans people feel unsafe or excluded. There, there are so many old men sitting in the Kingston Public Library <laughs> right now that are not having the plot of Fallout New Vegas explained to them <laughs> because of this book. <laughs> There's one thing I think we can agree on. All libraries should have, at the absolute most, one copy of Mein Kampf, and it should only be there <laughs> so you can take it out on the bus, read it, and then shake your head every few seconds to let girls know you are not impressed. Exactly. Yeah, and then you point at, you point at, the, uh, you point at the cutest girl and you go, 
Have you seen this? Yeah. Have you? I, what, I'm what signing up is, for. I'm signing up for Army. This can't. We gotta stop this. <laughs> you see this? this? What the fuck? Yo, I'm going on TikTok. I'm taking a picture of this book for TikTok. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. And, and that's it. Every few seconds, you say, "I don't agree with this at all," and then rinse and repeat. Otherwise, no, shouldn't have it. And the turf book should just not exist. If you are listening, steal it from the library and throw it down the drain, <laughs> like the storm drain, please. Um, so the other thing is that libraries have a responsibility for information literacy and helping people to critique and analyze the books they are reading. Do, uh, doing a bang-up job. <laughs> so harmful books could have a place, but just by saying, no, we're not removing it, no, we're not labeling it, go away, and leaving it on the stacks, they're ignoring this aspect of their work. I think it's also mm-hmm. interesting in the context of what I brought up earlier that a lot of people seem to think that any books covering hard topics, even from marginalized authors, are bad because there are bad people in them. So obviously our society needs some media literacy training. But um, so like to what extent does this like involve harmful books? So there are a lot of things to grapple with with uh, intellectual freedom. And I feel that often with book banning, we just jump to seeing it as horrible. Um like, there are common sayings, the whole, like, I may not agree with what you're saying, but I'll fight for to the death for your right yeah, to say yeah. it. Yeah, said by, you know, the just most cretinous mouth breathers imaginable. <laughs> also, those guys that say they would fight to the death, that's like one second away from now. Like, literally <laughs> yeah, anything yeah. you do, if you stand up too fast, your head and heart will explode. <laughs> I, feel like I, mean, I will upvote that, your boats to the death. <laughs> if I take that Mickey out your hand, your fucking heart's gonna stop. So, like... <laughs> I feel like it's Ricky Gervais that says that. I have his head in my mind when I hear that quote. <laughs> Every time I hear his name, I have to make a little scream. <laughs> um, I, I think like it's it's like this idea, similar to like what Chance was saying earlier, which is like this idea of like a sort of universal like neutrality and tolerance, uh, you know, just breeds or at least fosters the the worst attributes and the worst ideas uh, because they are not stomped out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, and, like, you could make the same argument for, you know, like, liberals saying, like, oh, like, we have to uh, negotiate and we have to, like, you know, settle things with debate uh, or, you know, the media with their both sides-ism, whether or not you believe that's even a thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Not good. Don't be neutral. I recommend uh, being as hard-lined. Uh, and pig-headed in your opinions as possible. But, see, this is interesting <laughs> because, like, I feel like I can't be hard, hard-lined with, like, the concept of censorship in general because, like, there are definitely, like, I feel like even as we discussed, like, two pretty distinct sides to, like, this this censorship debate. And I think my gist after, like, going through all this in my head is that power dynamics play a lot into the banning of books, like banning books on racism or, like, by marginalized authors because it makes white people uncomfortable is, like, a completely, like, horrible thing. But allowing any books to be anywhere also does damage to marginalized communities. So even if it sounds like I'm we're, like, advocating for 1984 or I'm trying to decide what everybody has to read, but... I feel like that whole thing that Chance said earlier about like the being like you have to be intolerant of intolerance. I feel like that is just like an accurate quote to portray the situation because I feel like it is just who has the power in which situations would determine how valid your like request for censoring something is, you know. So, uh, yeah. And now I want to know what you guys think. Well, um, 
it's, yeah, so to go back to that, there's two books that come to mind, right? That are books that I would never want to be removed from a library because of what they say, even if what they say is seen as hateful or advocating hate or violence. The first one is um, Scum Manifesto, um, which is, you know, a whole entire book about how we should kill all men. I don't think it should be taken off of shelves. I will go further into that in a second. The other one is um, pretty much anything by France Fanon, where he advocates for political violence against colonizers constantly. Mm -hmm. And then does like some pseudoscientific stuff. He was um, like a, a Freudian type dude. And he talks about how like, people's brains were um, essentially abused by colonial tactics. And therefore that's the leading cause for mental illness in the continent of Africa. Also a very great book, but I don't think it would pass the code of, you know, tolerating uh, or not tolerating rather intolerance. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, because it, it does advocate for political violence. You know, Emma Goldman does the same thing in, in some of her essays where she says that, like, you know, um, bombing a, a courthouse is justified, right? Uh, I don't think these things would pass that test. But, again, I like I said earlier, I don't think that means that removing books that are intolerant is the only option for libraries for public spaces of access to this information or even in uh, classrooms or even school libraries. I think there is a middle ground that isn't full removal or full ban, even on mm -hmm. incredibly harmful stuff, right? So even mm -hmm. the, the turf text, I think, doesn't have to go as far as an outright ban necessarily, because if we start to apply those things, which th that's how these things work, especially in our bullshit political landscape. People will start weaponizing that against proper things that might have more nuance. And so we, we don't want that. And we want to, you, you kind of have to play the game the same as they might against you. And so I think that's where if you keep the literature and if you keep the text for public use but it comes with some sort of context like i don't know a dust cover that just says like hey before you read this text here's some information i think there there should be access to these texts regardless but if it's been challenged or if scholars anyone academics even if there's like bullshit op-eds um and there was like an uproar. It should state like the, the the scandal around it, the significance around it, and and what might actually be not necessarily factual within the text, um, if it's claiming to be factual, and if it's claiming to be, you know, fictional, but it has like gross depictions of certain things, then there should be. It, it's not a parental advisory label. I don't think it should be limited to that. Right. It's not like listening to music that has a big old sticker on the side of it. It's more so about educating people, not limiting people. Um, and I think that's the importance. So instead of moving towards ripping these things off the shelves, even if they are harmful, I think they shouldn't be maybe with 
like Megan said, like the general population stacks and maybe possibly you have to like talk to somebody before you pull it out of the library or like Mm -hmm. a librarian will explain something to you in like a quick, you know, like 30 second script that they have written down on text. That yeah. is like just put it like with the porn tapes at a video store where it's like put it behind some beads and then people know you're a pervert if you're trying to read it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, ha- I have I, like I, yeah. Oh, sorry, you keep going. No, that, that's pretty much all I have. I I just I think the what scares me about censorship is how it will get weaponized and by by people who are arguing in bad faith. And I think that's the thing that always terrifies me about it. Even if I necessarily agree that you shouldn't have texts that are harmful, um, I I think of how our bullshit system will allow people to abuse that um, and and run it against actual like important historical texts or or even things that might just be like provocative in in any way. Uh, and and I would never want to see that. So I think. I think the the go ahead is like, or at least in my mind, is to give it some sort of context. Yeah, I I completely agree. I feel like I have two comments on yours. I think you're definitely right about like providing context in like libraries and schools as a place for like teaching people why these books may have been challenged. But I feel like applying just like the like label of like a challenged book with like reasons it's been challenged for both books that are like obviously like written by a Nazi and just like have been challenged because of something dumb or that they were uncomfortable reading it because it discusses race. I feel like a lot of people romanticize banned books and they go like, I'm so cool for like reading this. So if we're putting them on both like – no, it's, like it's the far. substack effect, right? It's like, oh, like I've the liberals are trying to silence me. Yeah. So please well, go buy this with, book. It's the yeah, same thing the with evil music. librarians. So like like buying music with a parental advisory sticker on it. Yeah, yeah it's cool now. Yeah, so, it's the exact same thing because it's like a, the mentality of fifteen year olds. It's like yeah, children brain. And I think like so, I think we should have to like label and discuss these ones that are like written like by Nazis and things like that. But yeah, I'm I'm worried about like putting like labels on ones that actually don't need labels, like something like someone's challenged a ch- children's book just because like if we apply it too liberally, like it doesn't mean very much anymore. And yeah, I also I, I, I think like if there was a way to make it so that like superfluous challenges would be kind of cast away from this type of a system. Yeah, and then where it's, it's like, no, only challenges that are seen as warranted. And <laughs> like, it's so interesting because, like, someone would have to make that decision, but I feel like librarians just have to, like, get over the notion of, like, being neutral, and they literally just have to be like, okay. Like, I think power structures just have to play into these decisions. But I, I do find it interesting because, like, I was thinking a lot about labels before, but now the more we talk about it and the more I am worried that it would just be like, ooh, like, this book is banned. But... A person in my class said a really interesting thing, which was that if someone comes to the library and, like, asks a person to, like, mediate, like, their information intake for them, it's, like, a really powerful thing that they didn't just go to the internet and, like, look it up and get it themselves. So there is really an opportunity for, like, a discussion there. So maybe the answer is, like, you have to actually, like, talk to the librarian to get it. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's really interesting. And it's not, like, a questionnaire. Like, it's not, like... yeah. Hey, dude, I'm trying to figure out why you're taking out this book and I'm going to write down all the reasons. It's like, no, it's it's like before mm-hmm. you have this, let me give you a bit of a rundown, mm-hmm. right? 
just so you know, right? Because then it's you're not taking away from the information. You're you're it's an additive process rather than a subtractive mm. process, and mm-hmm. I think that's important when it comes to this, the idea of these like these books that are you know possibly hateful, and I understand the arguments for wanting to remove them, like they're usually much better worded than my dumb brain. But I I really do think that like additive information is more productive than subtractive information. Mm. But even on like super like Nazi texts, you think too? I don't. uh, Yeah, I guess so. Right. Only Mm. because I know like, this is just my realism brain trying to think right now. Um, because, like I said, I know it will be weaponized no matter how it gets spun. And it already has been. If you look at the list of banned books, for the most part, it's like like Jesse was saying, like, bullshit about, hey, this paints men in a bad light. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's or mostly panic, panic. conservatives, yeah. Ah, that But that's what I mean. Me so it's it's already been weaponized. To two books I would like to discuss – uh, and on the note of like putting an advisory, I would love to see like the anti-Semitic advisory on these two books alongside like Hitler's war, because I think it would really just underscore how ridiculous this can be. There's two books that are both about Palestine that were both oh, challenged. The course. first one, The Shepherd's Granddaughter. I'm going to read the description from the website. This is a moving novel about one of the most hotly disputed pieces of land on Earth. Anne Carter tells the story of one girl and her family whose homes, way of life, and livelihood, even their ancient olive trees, are threatened. She, quote, carefully avoids gratuitous sentimentalizing or politicizing by staying firmly behind the eyes of her young protagonist. Even as the political conflict and hostilities loom, Amani's life remains grounded in the incidents of the everyday. The birth of a lamb, family arguments at mealtime, the illness of a relative, the difficulties of travel, and the celebration of the olive harvest. In 2010, in Ontario, Benai Birth Canada, which is a Jewish advocacy group, called for the removal of this novel about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict from a grade 7 and 8 class. Brian Henry, a parent with a a parent with a child in the Toronto Public School Board also complained about the novel in a letter to the Ontario Minister of Education, stating that it was, quote, anti-Israeli propaganda. Mm. This also occurred a few years after Three Wishes, a book about Palestinian and Israeli children, which is nonfiction and is based off interviews conducted by the author in Israel and Palestine throughout 2002. In 2006, the Canadian Jewish Congress urged public schools to deny access to this children's nonfiction book, claiming that it was anti-Israeli propaganda. And I was like, interesting. Uh, There's a lot more information on this. Basically, just them banning it. At first, I'm like, oh, okay. It's not appropriate for kids in grade four to six. It's appropriate for grade seven or higher. And then, uh, no, it's not appropriate for grade seven. Uh, It's also not appropriate for grade eight. And then the book was withdrawn. And I was like, oh, great. That's cool to see how this is weaponized if you dare say Palestine is a country or uh, that people live there. Awesome. Great. Uh, Hitler's War is allowed to be in libraries, though. So that's good. Yeah. Good like, job, like, guys. This is why it's so interesting. <laughs> like, the conservatives seem to, like, push for it more. But, I like, obviously, like, Nazi books do way Freedom more Freedom of speech, baby. Like, it's, I don't know. It's such a fraught issue. But anyway, I feel like some books just shouldn't be in libraries, TBH. But I, I understand the, like, whole, like, labeling them and, and talking to a library. I think that is, like, really valuable. And there should be, like, copies of things for research. But some public libraries yeah, I, I don't think need every book. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I, I also agree with that. Like, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, well, libraries have a limited inventory mm. in general. Why would they bother? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this is the like, controversial. This is the intellectual dark web library where every book is controversial. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the 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 open space for information. Like, be that space, mm-hmm. um, but also understand how it affects your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And get rid of the books and make the library just a place where old guys get to jack off. Mm. Problem solved. <laughs> just like the gym. Actually, yeah. everywhere old guys go. Come just like all of Greece. God. When I was there, I saw like oh. 30 people masturbate on the street. And I was like, this can't be how they <laughs> live. Remember, like what? That's why, that's why their economy crashed. Everybody's too busy fucking jacking off. But thanks for chatting today, everybody. This was really fun. Mm-hmm. I like doing this I episode. want there to, I, I, one takeaway that I want to give, an important one, I think, is that regardless of how you feel about any of this, Going to a library means money not going to a publishing house. Yeah. And, and that's a good yeah. thing. Or and to not like going a to the sick Amazon. freaks writing the books. Yeah. These <laughs> disgusting cretins who think that their words have value need to be put in their goddamn place. And if we can't ban all of the books outright, we may as well make sure they get as little money as possible. <laughs> bye <That's> bye. Right. bye. <laughs>